Good morning, church party. Let's uh, stand for the reading of God's word. So Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom, in whom, sorry, it switched versions on me. In whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's bow our heads. God, we just thank you. As the psalm says, um, there's no one good, and we can have joy because you have saved us, Lord. Uh, we ask for anyone here that doesn't know the saving power of Jesus, Father, that they would know you. God, we um, just ask that all of those who are here would remember um, and keep bringing to mind the gospel because we know um, that in your presence there is fullness of joy. God, we ask the same for the youth and the kids. We thank you that they're getting to meet today. Father, and uh, we just ask that um, you would work miracles this Christmas season. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Woos. Appreciate y'all reading and praying, setting the stage for us. Well, what a, what a great psalm. I wish I could just preach through line by line this morning. You would be here until the next week of love if I did that. But, um, so we'll, we'll jump around a bit. But if you um, missed a couple of weeks, let me, let me catch you up, right? We're in the season of Advent. That's why we're pausing uh, for long, silent confession times in our gathering to the point where you might be looking at your neighbor and be like, this is getting uncomfortable. There's a reason for that. We are trying to train ourselves to slow down to beg for Jesus to not let us alone in this dark, cold season uh, or, or, or really uh, ultimate journey in life, that we are celebrating his once coming and yet looking forward to his ultimate coming. And in this tension-filled place, we celebrate and we walk through these four themes of Advent every year, the first one being hope. And it's with each one, there's a warning right alongside the wisdom uh, the warning for hope was that you have a, a tendency, we have a tendency to put our hope in lesser things. We, have a, we, we, we misplace our hope again and again and again. And, and what will happen is the result of that misplaced hope is despair, right? And then last week, we talked about uh, not just hope, but ultimately peace, not just any kind of peace, but a particular, a Christian kind of peace that Jesus came to give you. And he says, not like the world will I give you, give you peace, but instead I give you my peace. It's particular. 
right? There's warning and there's wisdom. And then today, we, we follow that same, those two same guidelines of now we are in joy, right? We, we celebrate and we look in this season of Advent at this particular word, a Christian word of joy. It is different than happiness, uh, we are confused a bit in life in that we pursue happiness. It's in the documents, the founding documents of this country to pursue happiness. And that is a God-given right to all humanity. And if we're not careful, uh, we, can, we can just weave that, that beautiful uh, sentiment into our hearts to find happiness as Christians in this world. And I think that's the, the key particular difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is found from the world and joy is found in the world. You can find joy in this world, but you don't find joy from this world. And what I mean by that and what we say every year in regards to joy and happiness is that happiness is, is an emotion that is dependent upon circumstance. It is dependent on a controlled result, which should bring us back to that's how the world defines peace. We try to control the results, and if the results will pay off, that somehow gives us peace and now joy. They're all uh, interrelated. So it is uh, happiness is an emotion that is dependent or, on a result or a circumstance, a relationship that worked out, a job well done, fulfilled expectations, and an experience. These things can bring you happiness, but that is not what God promised, nor is it what he announced on that hill with those shepherds on that dark night. When he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. That's the gospel. That's the same word. I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the happy people, for all the people that kind of get this thing situated and worked out over time, for all the people that have good circumstances that work their way out. No, no, for all people. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. So there's something better here that's being offered. Good news of great joy has more lasting power than any emotion as it is sustained through circumstance and it holds more substance than getting what we want, when we want, how we want it. Good news of great joy is, is not dependent on those smooth circumstances. Instead, Good news of great joy is founded and planted on a deep assurance of being convinced of the character, the intentions, and the plan of God. Yes, let me say that again. Joy, this good news of great joy is a deep assurance in being convinced of the character, of the intentions, and the plan of God. That's the only thing that makes sense when you look at passages such as Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 talks about we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and it goes on to say why in 12 too. It says, looking to Jesus, he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. That should give us peace and hope and joy. Who, for the joy, that author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured suffering, endured rejection, endured the worst death imaginable. So whatever suffering you're going through, joy can be found as we pursue God through it because that's exactly the thing that sustained Jesus as he went through the suffering that he endured. It's that joy of being one again with his Father but also purchasing all of us. 
by despising the shame as it is seated, the shame of, the, of our sin. And it is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus' joy was the culmination of God's intentions, of God's plan, and of God's character. And as we read Psalm 16, I think we can be uh, comforted with David's experience of joy as well in at least three ways. Number one, joy is fully available in God's presence. It begins this way and it ends this way. So I just want to bookend the psalm with uh, verse 1 and verse 11, which say these things. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Are you seeing the presence of God being the place then and the stage setter for the rest of the psalm, which eventually ends with this beautiful phrase in psalm uh, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. You see, that's what the talk of our, of our time together really is. It's the fullness of joy. Not this we would experience some happiness along the way, but the fullness of joy. Where is that found? But in the presence of God Almighty. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't know what you think about when you think about the right hand of God, when you think about standing next to God, but I don't think about pleasures, typically. I think of all, I think of holiness, I think if I ever were to get that close, which I don't deserve to be there, I'll just be happy to survive the experience and not be killed on the spot. And yet God invites us into this place to stand or be next to him, intimately close, connected with him in his presence. You see, to the shepherds, the promise of joy came with the presence of God. If you went back and remembered what Bethany uh, uh, read and what we read together, ultimately, right, is that God is promising great joy with what? The birth of a Savior, the birth of this baby who wouldn't stay a baby, but one day become a king and return, and that's what we look forward to. But it is God's presence along the way that will sustain us in joy. God in the flesh has come, and he brought not condemnation for our sin and and not condemnation for how we've wandered and pursued the darkness, but instead he has announced and given us good news of great joy. So I want to say this. God has made his presence available to all of his people. The question has become, have his people gone into his presence? God has made his presence available to all his people, but his people's presence is not always made available to God. David seeks God for refuge in verse 1, and yet sometimes, many times, we just pull away from the one true God into busyness, into convenience, And here's what the Bible says, that when we chase after other gods, our sorrows multiply. Did you read that? Did you read that in the midst of all that warm and fuzzy language, that hopeful language right there in verse 4? It gets real nasty. Like, did you read it? I'm going to read it for you. Here you go again. Verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. And you go, okay, well, I'm not running after any other gods. You sure? I'm not sure about my own life. There are many gods that I run after. Look at what keeps, keeps going. Look, their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The lips of those other gods will not even touch mine. I will not confess them in public or any other way. 
There is a, 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 a disregard for other gods for David because he knows that if we are to be found in God, if we're going to be trying to find joy in this life, we must also then shun every other source of life that the world may have to offer. The Bible calls us to a life that is truly life, that tells you there's some false life out there, that tells you there's some false pleasures out there, that tells you that what the world has to offer actually will take the edge off a little bit. But it's not eternal. It's not lasting. You'll get some happiness from good circumstances, but it's not going to last to Friday. Something else will happen. Something else will pop up. But I think for us, there's this great warning again with the wisdom that we indeed run after other gods. I do. I run after a God of convenience. I run after a God of busyness, of achievement. I run after all kinds of gods along the way, and they all reek of self-importance. But waiting and longing, being patient, going without for a season, this season of Advent, it brings us into this pathway to life that David talks about. And it is not idle to do so, but active. Finding refuge in God takes a lot of work. You ever tried to just carve out any season to just read God's word and pray for like 10 or 15 minutes a day? Have you, have you done that with your life recently? Have you, are you in a lull where you haven't been doing that? The new year is coming. I pray that you find a, a, a Bible reading plan that you can stick with. But for 15 minutes a day, you would think that's doable. And yet we find excuses again and again to run after achievement, to run after, ooh, I just want to veg out on social media and scroll for a little while. When's the last time you've been in the scriptures? I don't know, but I know exactly what's going on on Instagram in your life and the life of many others that, that have no relationship to me. We can dig in and we can certainly run after all these other gods. But instead, finding refuge in God takes planning and effort and perseverance. I would imagine a king ruling over an entire kingdom such as Israel, such as David ruling over that kingdom, I would imagine he has more appointments than me. I would imagine he has more appointments than you. I would imagine that there's a lot more to lose for him if he doesn't find his refuge in God, because there are nations, still today, there are nations that want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. So it's no wonder that this king, David, from whom Jesus comes out of that line, helps point us in the direction that our joy is made fully available in God's presence. The king who's slain, not his thousands, but his ten thousands, right? That's achievement, I mean, that's an achieving kind of guy right there, ascending to the throne from, from, from the eighth youngest boy to an errand boy during war. That's how David ends up with this whole scene with David and Goliath. He's running up there with bread for his brothers who are at the front lines. And he's like, brother, you need some bread? I'll give you some bread. And he hears that crazy Palestinian, that crazy Philistine, and he says, hey, what the heck? Y'all going to just stand here and listen to him talk about our God? I'll stand up to him. Right? That's the craziness of that whole thing is that he wasn't even supposed to be there. And he interjects himself into this story. And you see him now finding refuge ultimately in God himself who sought pleasures. Right? He sought pleasures in adulterous affairs. Yet it's with God that he finds his joy. 
He, had, he felt sorrow over his sin. He lost a son who was killed as a result of his rebellion against God. He had another son who rebelled against him and took the throne of Israel away from him for a season, named Rehoboam. Can you imagine both the joy and the sorrow that David felt far beyond peaks and valleys that we might feel? And he says, my refuge, my ultimate joy is found in God's presence. You see, friends, your joy will never be what it could be if you do not fully surrender to God. And that's the ultimate warning along with the wisdom of verse 1, 11, and 4, that our, our refuge is found in him. And if we, if, we, if we grow weary in that refuge, in that path of life, and start chasing after other gods, we start chasing after my own convenience, or I don't really want to submit to Jesus when he calls me to die for him whether it be literally or figuratively, when we, when we just kind of pull ourselves away from the, from the difficult calls of the scriptures, we find ourselves all of a sudden not fully surrendered to God. Like, did you, did you notice some of the language that we, that we sang today? Come and bow to him. When's the last time you bowed to anyone? I used to work at a Korean church, and um, it didn't go well for me. And one of the reasons why it didn't go well for me is because I was too prideful and young to realize the culture that I was in, and ignorant, is an honor-shame culture. And so anytime a, a younger person steps into the presence of an older person, you are to bow. Y'all, I'd never bowed, which is why my tenure there was like a less than a year. Every once in a while, I'd be like this. Boop. It just felt so weird to me to honor someone else in that way. And yet in the culture that they were in, that I was in, certainly I should have bowed. Certainly I should have been more reverential to those that, um, amongst whom I was called. You ever bowed to someone? You ever just been in someone's presence and, and bowed to them? It's a weird thing. It's a weird experience if you've never done it. But when we sing, oh, come and adore him, come, bow down to him, are you do you really have that posture in your hearts? To really bow down to King Jesus and say, Lord, my life is in your hands. Whatever you want me to do, I will go and do. For surely I am bowed down as a servant to my king. I no longer then have a right to my throne, to what I want in life. See, that's what happens when we bow down. We sang it, but does it mean anything for us? Are we fully surrendered to the kingship of Jesus? I want to just put this before you. It's an old formula that I found super helpful again this week. Jesus plus something equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, what part of your life are you holding back from the throne of God? Have you considered that during the Advent season? There's part of your life that you're just holding back and go, I'll go to church, but if you ask me to give, hmm. That would be an unsurrendered part of life. I'll be a part of this body, but if you ask me to serve, pick up these chairs, I'm gonna, I, got, I got things to do. I will, I will do some things for you, Jesus, as long as it is convenient, but when it crosses over into the inconvenient of my life, and I'm not even talking about even really this gathering, that is not the point. It's just a symbol. Because there's all kinds of things in our own lives from Monday to Saturday where we pull back away from him, whether it be the way we drive or how much we drink or maybe how much we eat. Guilty. 
there are areas and times where we pull away from the throne of God and we try to set up our own little throne in the corner and go, but I want this little spot just for me. You can't have it. We do this again and again, week in and week out. What practice in your life speaks not of fully trusting God as your refuge? This week in preparation and um, being an Uber driver for my children, um, when does the license come, by the way, for my oldest? Is it not yet here? It's not. Um, she's not ready either, so we got some time. Uh, but when I drive around as an Uber for my kids this week, and I'm listening to this song, uh, I think it's from Pioneer Worship, and, it, and I, I think it's called Attention now that I'm thinking about it. And it's, it's just over and over again they say this, I don't want this world, I have everything I need in Jesus. I don't want this world. I don't want this world, I have everything I need in Jesus. And as I sang that on repeat throughout the week, I just began to just go, this is not true of me. I do want this world. I don't find everything I need in Jesus. And I need to sing that song until it is true of my heart. I don't want this world, I have everything I need in Jesus. You see, the fullness of joy is found in Christ alone, in God's presence alone. David would also then say that our fullness of joy is the result of resting, not just in God's presence, but in God's providence. We find this in verses 5 and 6, but uh, let me read that for us. This is a heading and get us going. Not just in his presence, but also in his providence, his, his providing for you. You see, this is what David says, the Lord is my chosen portion. Not good circumstances, but the Lord himself. And he is my cup, for you hold my lot. You know what a lot in life is. It's basically your life, everything that holds your life. Every circumstance that could ever happen in your life is your lot that God holds in his hand and drew for you, for you, not just to you for you. He goes on, the lines, oh, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You see, friends, when we talk about joy, comparison is the thief to joy. You've heard that, you've read that all probably throughout your life, but comparison is the thief of joy. And the cure for comparison is a deep belief, a deep conviction that God himself has drawn your boundary lines. A good God has drawn your boundary lines. So check this out. Believing that an all-good, all-wise, all-powerful God has drawn the lines and the sands around your life is the only way that you can sing the verse to this psalm. That you are my portion. I find no other joy than finding refuge in you, in you, O oh Lord, and in your presence. Because you, you have drawn out lines for me that are pleasant indeed. So your boundary lines have been drawn in this life and in the next. Where you live, did you ever think you're going you're gonna to end up in Richmond, Texas? Is that what happened when you were born? It's not what happened when I was born. Yeah, yeah, no, heavy no to the Californian in the house. She's like, nope, <laughs> absolutely not. Where you live, what you have or don't have, the family that you have, that you were given by God's sovereign providence, which means not just the, the kids that you have or don't have, 
but also rewind the mom and dad that you have, that you definitely have, whether they're around or not, whether they did a good job or not, all a part of the boundary lines that God has drawn providentially, meaning not just sovereignly that he knew, but providentially, meaning he's providing for you as he drew those lines. Everything about your life has been drawn out by a good and gracious and wise God. How much money you have or will ever make or never have. All that a part of the boundary lines that God has drawn for you. Your desires for this kind of job, like engineering, and not that one, like the medical field. Every fabric of your being, every wire of how you were designed, it all belongs to a sovereign good and providential God. Now, when we forget that, we get to coveting, do we not? And that's like what the season is, is pushing on us constantly. You don't have something. You'll be happy if you get this thing. Just get it real quick. It's, after all, 25% off of some inflated price. Today's your day. We'll end at midnight. And we, we buy into it again and again and again and again. And yet true and lasting joy, fullness of joy is found in trusting the boundary lines around your life, where and when and how and who and how much and how little, all been providentially set by our king. But it's not just the boundary lines, it's the inheritance. Indeed, he says, I have a beautiful inheritance. I added this in later so Alan does not have this slide, but I'll just read it for us. We can just take it in. This comes from 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, rather, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. You haven't just been rescued from death. You've been brought into an inheritance that is imperishable. It will never decay. It is undefiled, it's beautiful and perfect. It is unfading, it's always gonna seem new. Isn't that beautiful? Everything you've ever unwrapped has always got, it's always gonna fade to it. Like your kids are gonna unwrap all kinds of things and within 10 minutes, they're gonna forget 95% of it. And you're gonna go, well, that was great. Especially you, the young families in our house, like just give them the box. They don't care about everything else. It's fine. But it all of a sudden fades. And yet this is the inheritance that we have. It is kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our conquering king is on his way back. So if we are satisfied with our inheritance in Christ, friends, then we will be satisfied with our inheritance in our circumstance. I want to say that again. And I'm going to unpack this just for a moment. If we are satisfied with our inheritance in Christ, then we will be satisfied in our inheritance of circumstance. One comes first. Our satisfaction in Jesus will ultimately lead to satisfaction in whatever circumstance that God allows us to walk through or purposefully leads us into. Y'all do remember at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went out into the desert where he was tempted by the devil and led by the Spirit. And that is our walk with Jesus. It doesn't come with an either or, but a both and. And so one leads to the other. Our satisfaction with Christ will help us be satisfied in circumstance. Why? Because our inheritance in Christ produces humility. 
when you realize what he's done for you. You see, I, I said this in the beginning of Advent, that one of the dangers of Advent is familiarity, that we talk about the gospel a lot, especially in this church, that if you, if you forget just exactly what Jesus did for you, that, that you didn't deserve to be in this family. In fact, you looked at the family and you thought they were wackadoodles and you ran the other way, to use a Christian Madigan term. Right? Like, you saw the family of God and you're like, I'm good. Too much going on over there, a lot of drama. They can't even figure out anything. I'm out. But not to mention the inheritance that isn't in this life, but in the one to come. And we looked at that and we're like, no, thank you. But God came after you in your sin when you pursued the darkness, when you, the Bible says, obeyed the lustful desires of the flesh, ran after the devil, and just lived according to the pleasures of the world. And he came for you, and according to his rich mercy, made you alive together with him, seated him at the right hand of the Father with Jesus forever and ever. Didn't just die for you, but gave you a rich inheritance to enjoy for all of eternity. When we forget these things, We'll become prideful, but if we will remember, it produces humility, and humility produces gratitude, and gratitude produces contentment, and contentment produces joy. This is the path of life, and there is no shortcut. For those of you that are taking notes, I'll put it down for you again. I truly believe this with all of my heart. I can't find this particular signpost in the scriptures, but I think you pull together the whole. This is what you find. Your inheritance in Christ produces humility. Humility produces gratitude. Gratitude produces contentment, and contentment produces joy. And it all starts with being found in the presence of our God and our King. Third, and finally, not just that joy is found, fullness of joy is found in God's presence, not just the fullness of joy is found in God's providence, but also the fullness of our joy is expectant for the promised, the promised future. We find this in verses 9 and 10 of this same psalm, that not just that we're in God's presence, not just that he would provide for us in the long journey uh, to the coming king, but also when he comes, he's going to do some amazing things, and when we get there, it's going to be magnificent. Look at verse 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad, it's joyful, and my whole being rejoices. Everything about me, everything in me rejoices in our king. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. There is hope even unto death that one day God is going to come back and resurrect all of us. One day he's going to come back and not just, not just will he secure our soul, not in Sheol, which is at least the grave, but could also be this underworld understanding, the Old Testament understanding of hell. You will not be abandoned. Your soul will not be abandoned to Sheol, to hell. And not only that, but our flesh dwells secure in the hope that Jesus will come back and resurrect our bodies to live on this new heaven and new earth forever. You see, that promised future is our ultimate hope. Not in these smooth circumstances, but yet the promised future. Here's what I know. The prosperity gospel is powerful. And we say 
We say the prosperity gospel abhors us. But the truth of the matter is, it allures us, does it not? We want our best life now. We try to secure it, and, and, and like, oh, oh, I'm about to go off record. I'm going to go off the, the rails here. I'm not going to do it. I almost went into the rezoning thing. I'm not going to go there. Uh, not going to do it. But we try to secure it. We try to secure it in all kinds of ways. We buy houses in the suburbs where we, where we think it's safe and secure until someone comes along and messes up that dream, right? Or what we think that dream might be. We try to secure it in all kinds of different ways, and yet life on this side of the fallen tree just gets all kinds of wonky. I mean, my wife and I just spent our 20-year anniversary on, a, on an island where it rained on us every day. And you know what our saying was, like by like day two was, is this not life on this side of the fall? Like 20 years, all kinds of years saving up to get to this island. We just get there, try to bask in the sun. You wonder why I didn't get a tan? Because it rained. It's the islands, man. It always rains. I know, but it's not supposed to rain when I'm here. I want joy and that that beautiful thing that we planned out and saved up for. But the world is here to take all that away. And if I'm not careful, I'll get angry and despondent in those circumstances not working out the way I'd hoped. But instead, this isn't my hope. This isn't where I'm going to find peace on that beach. That's not real life. I don't find my fullest measure of joy there. My fullest measure of joy is that no matter where I am, I'm in the presence of God who has designed my life exactly how he wanted, way beyond what I thought. He rewrote my story somewhere along the way back in 1999, which I lived out, but really he wrote it before the foundations of the world, which will blow your mind when you start thinking about it. He rewrote it all to redeem us, to renew us, to bring us back into the family that we once thought was just crazy and nonsensical. David finds joy in God's presence, yes, in this life, but not in everything working out for him, because it didn't work out for him. And there's warnings all along the scriptures to not find your fullness of joy in things working out. It's not just in Psalm 16. I want to read for you this thing in Luke 10 before it comes up on the screen. Let me give you some context. I tried to stop Alan. I don't know if that worked. I don't think it worked, but we, I tried. But before we even get there, did it, did it go away? Okay. Perfect. Don't get distracted by this. Jesus sends out his disciples, the first ones, like the 72, and he sends them out all over the area, all over Galilee, all over Israel to announce the good news, to basically prepare the way for his traveling itinerant ministry where he's just preaching his heart out, healing the sick. I mean, you name it, it's happening, right? And as he sends his disciples out, and they come back and they go, Jesus, you will never believe what happened on our short-term missionary trip. Like demons obeyed us. Sicknesses fled. People were accepting you as Messiah in every town that we went. Now, if I'm sending somebody out and I'm hearing all this, like Chris just went to Honduras to like go scout out whether or not we would go there as a church, I haven't heard yet of, of the healings or the miracles yet. But if I heard that, I'd be like, stop everything. This is all we're going to talk about this week on Sunday morning. That's all we're going to focus on is God's, resp- God's ultimate uh, responsibility in bringing all these people to him and, and, the res- and the response of the people. And you know what Jesus says? When they come back and they're super excited for demons and disease obeying their voice, you know what he says? He doesn't say, man, you guys, 
Awesome job, guys. Well done. He gives them some wisdom in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. And he says, do not rejoice in this. Don't find your joy in even demons and disease fleeing from you. Don't find your joy there, guys. That's a trap that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice, why? That your names are written in heaven. I have never seen a demon flee from me. I don't think I've ever seen any disease like respond to me saying, Lord, we just believe that there's healing in this place this morning. I prayed that this morning over some partners of our church who are having struggles and difficulties with ultimate disease. I'm like, Lord, just please heal. I have yet to hear any report on my phone or later on that the surgery wasn't necessary anymore. And if I did, I'd be tempted in the same way. Oh, Lord, look at what you're doing. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to go out and do some things now. No! Recenter yourselves into the most important thing. You have eternal life, and your God knows your name, and he wrote it down in the book of life, which if you fast forward to the end in Revelation 20. One or 22, your name being written down in that book is what gets you in. What gets you into heaven? That at the end of your long life, what will allow you to stand with the king, our ultimate hope, our ultimate future, is that he knows you. Not that you worked for him, not that the demons, the disease listened and obeyed, but that he knows you intimately. He knows every way you've betrayed him this week. And he still says, come and find your truest pleasure at my right hand. Come and find your truest fullness of joy within me. I won't push you away. I won't, I won't, I won't push you away. I won't hold you at an arm's length. You come near to me and you'll find me. That's the great promise in this crazy, tension-filled journey and the pathway to life. Not just from cradle to crown with Jesus, but for all of us. From baby to adult and into our death, our ultimate hope is being found in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, our King, let us not find hope or despair in any other thing besides you knowing us. Let us find our assurance again and again not just in Luke 10, but also in Psalm 16 and in many other places throughout the Bible that our truest joy is being found in your presence. And may we join you. May we find our refuge in that way and in that place. Lord, we're grateful that you have not abandoned our souls to Sheol. We're grateful that our flesh even has something to rejoice about and that you will one day resurrect our bodies We rejoice that our names are written in the book of life and that at your right hand, if we'll go there, our pleasures forevermore. Preserve us for the future, O God. Keep us along the way. When we stray this week, when we roll our eyes at the inconvenience of your presence, when we rest in achievement or approval, or in this little world that we've tried to create on our own, gently correct us, bring us back like straying sheep 
We want to be led by our Savior and our Shepherd. Sometimes your voice, though, is inconvenient. We're just hungry for some other pasture. Develop in us taste buds for the bread of life. Help us. May we enjoy you even half as much as you enjoy us. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen.